It is week 11 of the 2021 college football season, and this is the We Hate Your Team podcast with Kay Ford and Kinger. I'm Kelly Ford, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Zach King. Kinger, how we doing? I'm feeling fantastic, Kelly. We're just fresh off the live stream this week. Our Purdue Boilermakers ranked 19 in the CFB playoff. What a night. It feels good. We're finally getting uh, some positive results out of that Purdue program. But uh, ready to talk some games with you, man. I, I said before the podcast, I think this week is probably the toughest for me in regards to picking winners. I actually like a lot of bets this week, but uh, picking these winners, I think it's going to be another barn burner for us here. I'm excited to see what happens. I'm still trailing. I'm trying to just creep, keep creeping up on you, Kelly. Just keep keep creeping up. That's right. No, we've got a great season-long competition going. It's very close, and you touched on it. We have been doing live shows now on our Twitter platform at WeHateYourTeam underscore. So make sure you're following us. Uh, we've had to push the Sunday night to Monday the last couple weeks. We're looking forward to getting back to Sunday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. We'll recap the previous week of action. And then Tuesday night, we do a live reaction just after the CFP Selection Committee releases their updated rankings. So make sure you're following us at WeHateYourTeam underscore to keep up with all of our content. So those are our live shows. This is the podcast. I know we had advertised on social media that we were going to be having a guest tonight. Uh, it was going to be at SureBets with two S's at the end. So make sure you're still following at SureBets. Um, but we did have some audio technical difficulties um, getting him set up tonight. So it'll be just Kinger and I tonight. We will get at SureBets with two S's on as a guest with as one of our um, handicapping pros in 2022 so he'll be back next season we're looking forward to that but for tonight it's just kinger and i so king you ready to pick some games let's do it all right man let's do it as you mentioned we do have that season-long competition going between kinger and myself it is really close as we've talked about i'm currently leading 163 to 157 make sure you're following us on twitter as i mentioned at we hate your team underscore and join the we hate your team podcast pick'em group on espn because the weekly winner will get a shout out here on the show we're up to 43 competitors now last time i checked Last week, we had a three-way tie at the top with 46 points. That three-way tie was between myself, Adam Zimmerman, known on Twitter as at Zimbo4, and at Braden Insane. So congrats again to our three co-champions last week. Kinger, any special words there for Zimmerman, a, a fellow Purdue Fiji? Congrats to Zimmerman. Keeping up with you, Kelly. I mean, that's solid solid work by the boys this week three-way tie at the top got to give them credits i think i finished like fourth or fifth so you beat me um so good job guys keep it up like you said kelly keeps reminding everybody you keep beating us consistently and you might get a shot on the show here that's right absolutely be better than us by the end of the year and we'll have to see if we can get you on as a guest but um 46 was the the winning score last week i'm committed to trying to do better this week i know you are too king so let's get into it we've got 10 great games tough games as you said we're going to start in conference usa we've got two teams that control their own destiny to reach the conference championship game it's uab at marshall king what do you think like you said, a little Conference USA action. Two pretty good football teams here. You got a Marshall team coming in on a four-game winning streak. Um, and Marshall's a team that really has some offensive firepower. They have some dudes on the offensive side of the ball. They're led by QB Grant Wells, who can sling it. Dude is a gunslinger. He's second in the CUS Conference USA right now in passing yards. But he also leads the league in interception. He's got 11 touchdowns and 11 interceptions on the year. Uh, Marshall offense really has a couple of good specific skill position players as well. They've got a running back, Rasheen Ali, who's got almost 900 yards on the year. 
uh, tied for the FBS lead with 17 touchdowns. Um, so Marshall's a team that can move the ball, and they've had some success on the offensive side, right? They've, they've got three losses this year to East Carolina, App State, and Middle Tennessee. Uh, none of those are particularly bad losses, specifically on the road at App State. ECU just pulled out a nice win last week, and Middle Tennessee's just been kind of consistent this year. Or, I mean, they, they've been very average, but they've been consistent this year. Um, and then on the other side, I mean, UAB defense, uh, that's kind of the story here, right? They're very good against the run. They're 26 in the country, only allowing 119 yards per game, only allowing 3.3 yards per carry on the ground, which is 14. So I'm looking forward to that Ali matchup versus the UAB defense. Um, you know, on the other side, UAB led by QB Dylan Hopkins and Dwayne McBride, the running back. Um, they really are a run heavy team. They don't have a lot of action in the passing game. Um, and, and if you look on the Marshall defense, this is where they've really struggled. They're dead last in Conference USA, allowing almost 210 yards per game. Um, but if you look at Marshall's pass defense, it's very strong. Statistically, it's top 10 in the country in yards per la- large yards allowed. So I'm going to be looking a lot for Marshall to load this box here against a pretty one-dimensional UAB offense. Um, you know, I, this week is so hard for me, like I mentioned, with with, uh, with picking these games. So I don't feel overly confident about this. But the way I've got everything lined up right now, I'm taking Marshall with eight confidence points you got it yeah so i think this is the best marshall team according to my predictive historical numbers since the thundering herd finished number 27 back in 2014 so the best marshall team in about seven years i'm really impressed with what marshall's been able to do so far this game to me um, i like both defenses i've got marshall as the number 37 ranked defense in the country and i've got uab as the number 40 ranked defense in the country so i think uh, both defenses are going to have their way a little bit with the offenses i think the closer matchup here um, is probably the marshall offense versus the uab defense Um, i do think that marshall is going while i like uab's defense overall i do think marshall is going to be able to have some success um particularly rushing the football. I've got them in the top 10 in rushing success rate on offense. Um, their def- or their their passing success rate also in the top 30. I do think that um, the UAB defense, though, like I said, pretty good against the rush and the pass, but I expect Marshall to be looking to rush the ball. Um, the bigger mismatch then is going to be on the other side where I have UAB's offense as number 71 going up against that top 40 Marshall defense. So um, I expect UAB to probably try to rush the ball as well. Marshall's pass defense, top 20 in success rate um, against the pass. UAB does have an explosive Uh, passing offense when they are successful passing the ball the problem is they aren't successful all that often passing Um, so I do think both offenses are going to be looking to rush um, against the defenses but I do expect both defenses to be the better uh, units on the field I've got Marshall as the number 51 team in the country in my predictive numbers I've got UAB number 71 it's at Marshall so give me the thundering herd I've got a 69% win probability and that equates to seven confidence points for the thundering herd so to recap kinger on marshall for eight i'm on marshall for seven pretty close right. start there pretty that close is start. a very it's a very close start good to know we're kind of on the same wavelength there mm-hmm. um next game we've got a big one in the mountain west conference the winner of this will be in sole possession of first place in the west division i'll take it first we've got nevada at san diego state so this is a San Diego State team that we that we saw in the committee's rankings this Tuesday. They're ranked number 22. 
In my most deserving numbers, I'd have San Diego State number 29. So I think the committee's giving them a little bit more credit than they deserve. They are 8-1, and one, um, so a, a good record. They do have a win against Utah, a win that's looking more and more impressive as the Utes continue to climb in my predictive numbers. Uh, it was an overtime game at home that San Diego State won. So a very good win, but still I think the committee has them slightly overranked. Um, I've actually, on the other side, I've got this as the best Nevada team since the Wolfpack finished number 20 back in 2010. So this is a really good Nevada team. They're sitting seven and two. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if the committee had them ranked next week if they beat San Diego State. Again, I'm not saying my numbers would have them ranked, but you beat a top 25 team, you're now eight and two. It seems like a mix that the committee might throw them in there in the, in the low 20s um, to, to be ranked next week. But we'll see if that happens. In this game, similar to the last game, I like both defenses. And I'll tell you what, King, I like the San Diego State defense a lot. We've talked about them a couple times on this podcast before. I've got them as the number nine unit in the country. So a really good San Diego State defense. Say what you will about their uh, schedule that they played. My numbers are opponent adjusted. So uh, adjusting for the lower level opponent that, um, that San Diego State has played in the Mountain West, still a top 10 unit. I've got them in the top 10 in success rate and explosiveness on the defensive side of the ball in both rushing and passing. Throw on top of that the fact that their defense starts with the fourth most advantageous field position in the entire country, and it is really hard to score points on this San Diego State defense. Uh, San Diego State really strong on that side of the ball. Flip it over, their offense um, a little bit inept, I guess you could say. I do like Nevada's defense against San Diego State's offense. Uh, Nevada's defense number 64 in the country, so very much middle of the pack, but San Diego State's offense sub 100. Uh, I do expect the San Diego State offense to have some success rushing the ball. Uh, Nevada defense very poor in success rate against the rush, 116th in the country. Again, there's only 130 teams, so very bad in defensive uh, defense rush defense for, for Nevada. So I do expect San Diego State to be able to move the ball on the ground. I actually have this as Nevada being the better team in the game, but because we're at San Diego State, I'm going to take the Aztecs. I've got them with a 54% win probability, and in this week's slate, that translates to two confidence points. So I'm taking the Aztecs for two. You know, we're going to we're going to disagree early here. And this is where right. this is where the two perspectives of the We Hate Your Team podcast really come in cuz you just came and broke down a lot of great points and a lot of those actually I agree and have in my notes here. But I've got a big dumb brain. And you know what I see when I look at this game? This reminds me of Fresno State, San Diego State a few weeks ago because I think Fresno State and Nevada are very similar football teams. Now, I will say I think Fresno State deserves a little bit more credit on the defensive side of the ball, and they are also better running the football than Nevada is. Nevada is dead last in the Mountain West in regards to rushing. Um, but this is just a game where, to me, it feels like Carson Strong and that offense coming off a pretty bad week last week. Um, you know, they played San Jose State, and Carson Strong was 36 of 54, 314 yards, and two interceptions. It took two defensive touchdowns and a last second field goal for them to beat San Jose State last week. I don't see Carson Strong in that offense struggling back to back weeks. Now, granted, we are going to talk about a San Diego State defense, like we've mentioned many times, that's very good. And I'm very excited to see that matchup of the San Diego State secondary with Trenton Thompson and Taylor Hawkins versus. 
Carson Strong and his weapons on the outside, Romeo Dobbs, Cole Turner, who's a very good tight end. He's got eight or nine touchdowns on the year. Both those guys have over 55 receptions. So I like the matchup there. And, you know, if you look at the other side of the ball, I agree with you. You know, with how San Diego State being so heavily geared towards the run game, right? They've got virtually nothing in the pass game. You know, I think that it's going to be a game where San Diego State probably will have some success running the ball, but I just think they're so one-dimensional. Um, I don't see them still scoring a whole lot of points versus Nevada, even though Nevada's defense has not been what you'd call exemplary this year. So I'm, you know, I'm going to bet on the good offense in this game. You know, I, I, I don't know why. And again, it just I'm seeing flashbacks of a couple weeks ago where Fresno State did the same thing to San Diego State. They beat Nevada earlier this year as well. So I'm going to take Nevada with four to start this off this week. Okay, so two games in, we do have our first disagreement. To recap, King is on Nevada for four. I am on San Diego State for two. So someone's going to make up or lose some points in the Mountain West Conference this week. We'll stay out West with our next game, but let's move it to the Pac-12 Conference, Kinger. The winner of this one actually takes the lead in the North Division. We've got Washington State going on the road to Oregon. What do you make of this one, King? So I'm going to start right here. We're going to get into my best bets later, but I'm just going to say right now, I absolutely love Washington State plus 14 this week. That is my number one bet. I was looking into this earlier. I think, like you mentioned, we've got a lot on the t- on the line here for the Pac-12 North. Oregon can officially clinch the Pac-12 North this week with a win. But the biggest thing for me is, is, Oregon has a very good Utah team looming next week. This, to me, feels like a trap game. And Washington State has been up and down this year, but they've won four of their last five. And their only loss comes to a BYU team where they lost 21-19. As we know, BYU ranked in the CFP. I didn't see what the number was tonight. I want to say it was like 19 or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was. But it's a very good, it's a pretty good BYU team, right? Washington State, they have been since the Mike Leach days. They're always a pass-heavy team. Their quarterback, Jaden Delora, he's third in the Pac-12 in passing yards, 17 touchdowns, seven interceptions on the year. They have a couple really good wide receivers on the outside in Calvin Jackson Jr. and Travell Harris. Both guys are second and third in the Pac-12 in receiving yards. They only trail Drake London and have 11 combined touchdowns. Now, Oregon's secondary, they are ball hawks, and they've created a lot of turnovers. I've talked about how big of a fan I am of Verone McKinley Jr. Um, They've got some guys out there that can play, and they have created turnovers, but they have been susceptible to big plays, and they have let up some yards. So I like Washington State to have some success here. On the other side of the ball, I mean, Oregon has has played Colorado and Washington the last two weeks, and both are – you know, pretty bad offenses, but the last time they played a good, respectable passing offense was UCLA, and they allowed over 350 in the air. So that's a matchup I like Washington State to exploit. You know, on the other side, Travis Dye, I predicted it last week. We all kind of did. We all knew that Oregon was due for a big week rushing. Um, he had over 220 yards on the ground. Um, and Washington State's defense that has allowed some big games rushing. Earlier this year, they allowed over 300 ground on the ground to Oregon State, even though they won. They allowed 250 or their loss in BYU. Um, they, they've been very susceptible, and they have a couple good players on defense. But, um, you know, I expect Oregon to really – hopefully dominate in again in the line of scrimmage in the trenches and try and really get that ground game going early uh, Anthony Brown took a step back last week uh, so I you know I, I I like Washington State to keep it close here I'm going to take Oregon and I have Oregon sitting in the five spot but again I'm very high in Washington State keeping this a game this week 
Very interesting. Okay, I've got you there, Oregon for five. And I want to just, with no guests this week, to try to manage my multiple screens and keep track of everyone's picks and all that, I'm able to pay a little bit closer attention to what others are saying on the podcast. So, King, to follow up there, BYU, the committee has them number 14. So a lot of respect for that BYU Cougars team. And I also just want to clarify... I don't believe if Oregon wins this week, they've clinched the North. I think I'm looking at the standings right now. There is a scenario where Oregon State wins out, Oregon loses out, and they both finish with three losses. Oregon State would have the head-to-head. But regardless, yes. Essentially, essentially. If Oregon wins this game, I mean, my goodness, it would have to be the collapse of all collapses, and Oregon State would have to catch absolute fire um, to make it happen. But just mathematically, I think there's still a door. Um, But you are right. For all intents and purposes, this is um, a clinching scenario for Oregon. So, um, yeah, for me in this game, King, the line is 14, which is interesting. I'm going to circle back to that in a second. And I know you love Washington State against that line. Um, Oregon a team that the committee has ranked number three. We talked about this on the live show. I think they are grossly overranked. I think the committee is placing much too high of a value on the win that the Ducks have at Ohio State. And I feel I can say that fairly because I have that as the absolute number one best win in all of college football this year. There is only a 19% chance that the average top 25 team would go into Columbus and beat the Buckeyes, which Oregon did. They deserve credit for that. My numbers are giving them credit for that. Um, But I think that the committee is overinflating the value of that win. Again, in my opinion, based on my numbers. I'd have the Ducks number 10 this week in a merit-based poll, but the committee is the poll that matters, and they've got them number three. So that's where we are. Um, I do like the Ducks in this game, King. I like them across the board. This is a top 30 defense, a top 15 offense. Um, I do think of the two matchups, I've got Washington State right around the same. They're 57 in offense. They're 60 in defense. So I really see this as Oregon being able to have success on both sides of the ball. When Oregon has the ball, I think they're probably going to get a big dose of the rushing game, of the ground attack. I've got Oregon as the number three team in the country in terms of success rate on the ground. Washington State's defense number 114 in success rate on the ground. So while I do think Oregon can have success passing as well against this Cougar defense, I think they're going to do the majority of their damage on the ground. And then flip it over to the other side, I do think Washington State's going to be able to have some success here, particularly passing. I've got them as number 41 in success rate, passing the football. Um, Now, explosiveness-wise, they're number 111. So um, they're not going to beat you with a lot of big explosive plays. And honestly, the Oregon defense does not give up a lot of explosive plays through the air. But I do think they're going to be able to exploit Oregon a little bit just in terms of getting the chunk yardage that they need to stay on schedule. So while I don't think they're going to have enough success on offense to be able to keep up with Oregon. I do think Washington State's going to be able to score just a little bit. Um, But you mentioned that line at 14. Um, I love when this happens. My numbers have this as Oregon minus 14. It's a good sign for me when my numbers line up with Vegas. It reinforces my belief that my numbers are sound predictively. Um, The closer they are to Vegas in more games, the more that's supported. And then as we talked about on the podcast last week, if you can find those games where the number disagrees, and if there's not an obvious reason for that, like an injury or an off-the-field issue that that we're not tracking in the numbers – that, those are the games you can exploit from a handicapping perspective and a betting perspective. But I think the Vegas number's right on. I know you like Washington State to cover that. I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with you. But for the pick'em here, I've got Oregon as the number 21 team in the country. Washington State down at 72. This game is in Austin Stadium. 84% win probability for the Ducks. Give me Oregon. Give me nine confidence points. So to recap, 
I'm on the Ducks for nine. Kinger's on the Ducks for five. We will see how it goes. One of Kinger's best bets is Washington State plus 14. All right, let's bring it back a little bit closer to where we are, King, here, um, not on the West Coast, our only non-conference matchup this week. We've got Notre Dame going on the road to Virginia. I'm going to start with Virginia. I've got this as the best Virginia team since the Cavaliers finished number 14 back in 2004. So I think at 6-3, and three, this Virginia team has been very impressive in the games that they played. Their losses have been at North Carolina, at home to Wake Forest, and at BYU. So those are all good, predictably speaking, teams that they've lost to. Um, so a really good Virginia team. On the other side, the committee's got Notre Dame at number 9. I would actually have them number six, King. I think that Notre Dame is actually slightly underranked by the committee, and I'm setting this up because I've got to go the other way on you. Predictively speaking, I've got this as the worst Notre Dame team since the Irish finished number 45 back in 2016. And that is not to say I think this is a bad Notre Dame team. I've got them number 12 in the country in the predictive numbers. But my goodness, Brian Kelly's had the Irish rolling these last couple of years. So I do have this as quote-unquote, the worst, uh, predictively speaking, Irish team since 2016. Um, I have this, Notre Dame's got the 16th best win in the country, neutral site versus Wisconsin. My numbers are very high on Wisconsin now, predictive numbers that is. Uh, they continue to impress and they're getting better. Um, so a very impressive win that Notre Dame had there at the neutral site. I do like both offenses in this game. Um, I'm going to start with the really high-quality matchup here. I've got Virginia's offense number 7 in the country, Notre Dame's defense number 13. I mean, this is going to be a fantastic matchup. I can't wait to see how this plays out on this side of the ball. In terms of success rate, I've got this as a dead-even heat on rushing offense for Virginia versus rushing defense for Notre Dame. So I think that's going to be a stalemate where I think Virginia is going to have success is passing. I've got them in the top 10 in success rate um, passing the ball. I've got Notre Dame's success rate on defense against the pass at number 50. So I do think Virginia is going to be able to move the ball through the air. And then let's flip it over to the other side. It's a little bit lower quality overall. It's also quite a big mismatch. I've got Notre Dame as the number 30 offense in the country. I've got Virginia's defense number 104, which is very surprising for a team that I have in the top 40 of my predictive numbers, but they are just not very good on the defensive side of the ball. I expect Notre Dame to have their way rushing, and that says a lot because Notre Dame has not been very successful rushing the football this year and also passing. I think that's where they'll do most of their damage. Uh, success rate for Virginia defense, sub 100 in both the passing and rushing attack, um, or defending the pass and the rush, excuse me. So I think Notre Dame's going to have their way. I've got Notre Dame, as I said, as the number 12 team in the country, Virginia number 39. So even though Notre Dame has to go on the road here, I'm taking the Irish. There's a 62% win probability by my numbers. That translates to six confidence points for the Irish. And I should mention, I have this as the eighth best game on the slate this week with an average K4 team rating of 81. So I'm looking forward to this one, but I've got the Irish. I also am looking forward to this one, but we've got a little bit of question around if Brennan Armstrong is going to play. And obviously, as we know, he is the heart and soul of that Virginia offense and really is what made them click. It's it's looking like he's more than likely going to, but still early in the week, we have a lot of questions or there's still some questions around if he's for sure going to, you know, suit up this week. So, um, you know, Virginia's coming in off a bye after that offensive showdown and, you know, kind of smacked down by BYU a couple weeks ago. Just a quick little stat about that game. 
Uh, Virginia defense allowed 734 yards of total offense from BYU a few weeks ago. So you highlighted on it, Virginia defense is a problem. They're dead last in the, SC, in the ACC, allowing over 220 yards per game on the ground. Uh, they are nationally ranked 122nd out of 130 FBS teams, allowing over 465 yards per game. So this is really setting up well for Notre Dame, on, in my opinion, even though the offense, and I agree with everything you're saying about Notre Dame not being quite as strong as they have been in previous years. And, you know, quite honestly, until the last couple of weeks, they've really struggled uh, with the, running the ball, right? I've, I'm a big fan of Kyron Williams, and he's a guy I've always liked and thought he's got a lot of playmaking ability. Uh, he really struggled to start the year, but the last couple of weeks, you know, he's up averaging over five yards per carry now, and his last three, he's got over 100 yards in two of those. So, you know, it's going to be very big on the UVA front front seven to step up and try and stop that run game, and I just don't really see that happening too successfully this week. Um, you know, and on the other side, I think the biggest, one of the biggest X factors is you talk about Notre Dame being number 13 ranked defense in your rankings, you know, that's not a good mismatch for a Virginia offensive line that has struggled tremendously this year. They've let up the most sacks in the ACC. Uh, you know, you look, they've allowed 26 sacks this year, which is the most in the ACC. I look for Isaiah Foskey, who's, you know, ninth in the nation with seven sacks right now, or seventh in the nation with nine sacks right now, hopefully to exploit that Virginia offensive line, and I think they're going to make it difficult for Armstrong to have success. Notre Dame has won 39 straight against unranked opponents, and I think if Armstrong plays, this is going to be a good football game, but this is just too much for me, and I don't see this being a week that Notre Dame slips up, so I've got Notre Dame as well sitting in the seven slot. Okay, so to recap, King is on the Irish for seven. I'm on the Irish for six. Um, should be good. No one's going to make up or lose a ton of ground in this one. I am curious to see if Armstrong plays. Like you said, that will really be the make or break in that game. So we dipped our toe in the water there, King, into the ACC. Let's jump all the way in. Let's keep it in the ACC, where the winner of this one is going to be first place in the Atlantic Division. We've got NC State going on the road to Wake Forest, who... It, by the way, is still undefeated in ACC play. Yes, they did lose last week at North Carolina. That was actually a non-conference game. It was not counted in the ACC standings. Those two schools have an agreement. They've done this before. They have a non-conference game to play each other, um, and it is allowed by conference rules, really? by NCAA rules. So, this, has it yes. been going on for a while? Yes, they, they've done this in the past, um, and they did it again this year. So again, they're rivals, right? They're very close in proximity. I think it makes sense. I actually kind of like it um, that, that, that they've done this, but just let's be clear, everyone. That was not an ACC loss. So the winner of this one is first place in the Atlantic Division, but as it stands right now, Wake Forest still undefeated in ACC play. So King, you want to take this one first? NC State at Wake Forest. Yeah. I'm still salty about Wake Forest last week. I just got to say, I'm still salty about them. That fourth quarter, I picked them last week versus North Carolina. They blow a 14-point fourth quarter lead, let up 24 points in the fourth quarter to that North Carolina offense. Just really just laid down. And Wake Forest has been a team I have picked wrong every time they've been on the week, our podcast. I picked against them. I picked Army to beat them. Last week, I picked Wake Forest to beat North Carolina. I'm 0-2 picking Wake Forest this year. So I've got a little bit of, of built-up not anger is the bad word, but I'm a little bit upset and disappointed in Wake Forest this year. Now, that being said, you know, I also early kind of, uh, I wouldn't say dogged, but I was a little bit low on NC State. And, you know, quietly, Devin Leary and the Wolfpack have won the last two after their one-point loss to Miami. And he's been quietly playing a very good stretch of football. Going back to that Miami game, he's got 10 touchdowns and three picks. He's, he's got, or I'm sorry, two picks. 
He's got 25 touchdowns and three interceptions on the year. He's very quietly been a very efficient quarterback for those North Carolina State Wolfpack, and I don't think he's a guy that really has gotten quite the national attention that maybe he's deserved for his good play this year. Now, the run game has struggled, right? NC State dead last in the ACC. In the last two weeks, they've only put up 44 and 86 yards on the ground. I mean, those are both very average run defenses if you look at statistics in the ACC. Um, and this is probably looking for a, a matchup this week that they're hopefully looking to exploit versus a Wake Forest rush defense that has been incredibly porous this year. They just got trounced on the ground by North Carolina State, North Carolina last week. So, you know, with, if they can get something going there and really open up the outside to get Leary going, I like them to have some success. Um, you know, Hartman, again, had a pretty good week last week. He had five touchdowns. It was pretty efficient, but he did throw out two critical interceptions. Um, you know, they, NC State comes in with the second-ranked overall defense, uh, but they aren't overly impressive in the pass game. They've got uh, one of their studs on the outside, um, blanking on his name right now, but they've got a good player in the secondary who's up towards the top. I think he was at one point leading the NCAA in interceptions. I can't, again, just blanking on his name right now, but I like Wake Forest to have some success there, and I don't feel good about this one, and I think I'm just going to end up, again, my dumb brain just telling me I'm going to lose this one again. Give me Wake Forest for one. I'm taking him at home. Let's ride. Gotcha. Okay. Wake Forest for one. Um, yeah, this game, I really like this game. I've got it as the sixth best on the slate, uh, teams, or a, a game score of 84. I have this as the best NC State team since the Wolfpack finished in the top 15 back in 1992. So the year I was born is the last time NC State has had a team this good, predictively speaking. Uh, and then let's flip that over. I mentioned this last week on the podcast. As King, you mentioned we picked this Wake Forest uh, North Carolina game. This is the best Wake Forest team since I had the Demon Deacons in the top 25 in 1946. I mean, this is the first year of college football after World War II. That's the last time Wake Forest has been this good, predictively speaking. So I think both coaches, both coaching staffs deserve a ton of credit for getting these programs to play at the level that they played this season. Very impressed. The committee has NC State number 16. I'd have them number 18, so no major quarrel there. The committee has Wake Forest number 12. That's exactly where I'd have them. So well done, committee. You've got Wake Forest exactly right. Um, I say that kind of kidding. But yeah, right where, right where they have them, or right where I have them is where the committee does. I like the matchup in this game that, that draws my attention is Wake Forest offense versus NC State's defense. Can you touch on it a little bit? I've got the Wake Forest offense number five overall in the country. I've got NC State's defense number 12 overall in the country. I mean, something's got to give here. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be. I do think uh, Wake Forest will probably be trying to pass the ball. They are a much better um in terms of success rate, Wake Forest much better passing the ball with Sam Hartman than they are rushing. And I do think NC State, while they're pretty good against the pass, they're slightly better against the rush. So I do think Wake Forest's offense is going to try to exploit um, the NC State secondary. I know we talked about um, one of the one of the good players that NC State has there, but I do think Sam Hartman's going to be able to move the ball. And then on the other side, I do like NC State's offense against Wake Forest's defense. Um, and I think this one's a bit of a bigger mismatch. Um, I've got the NC State offense top 40, Wake Forest defense number 76, um, so below average Wake Forest defense. Uh, in terms of success rate, Wake Forest defense sub 100 in both rushing and passing, so I do think NC State's going to have their way. The difference for me in this game, I think, is going to be the home field advantage. I do have NC State as the better team, number 18 in my predictive numbers. That's interesting. NC State's number 18 in my predictive, but number 18 in my most deserving. That doesn't always happen, um, but that's the way it worked out for the Wolfpack. I've got Wake Forest as the number 23 team in the country, but because we're playing this game at Wake Forest, 
I'm going to lean Wake Forest. I've got this game as a pick'em, 52% win probability for the Demon Deacons. So I'm taking Wake Forest, and I'm taking them just like you, King, with one confidence point. So to recap, this is the game that King and I both feel least confident about. We're both taking the Demon Deacons for one confidence point. All right, let's move on into the SEC. We've got a top 15 showdown. By the committee's rankings, we've got Texas A&M, number 11, Ole Miss, number 15. I've got this as the fourth best game of the slate, game score of 88. I would have these two teams ranked um, in opposite directions, actually. I'd have Ole Miss at number 11, and I'd have Texas A&M at number 17. We talked a little bit about Texas A&M in the live show. I'd encourage you to go check that out um, if, if you're curious about my thoughts on Texas A&M being overranked. I've got this as the best Ole Miss team, as I believe I mentioned last week on the pod, since the Rebels finished number five back in 2015. Um, a really, really good Ole Miss team. Matt Corral has got that offense humming. And again, just like that last game, there is one matchup here that I'm very excited about, and that is the Ole Miss offense versus the Texas A&M defense. Both top 10 units, respectively, in the country. And I do think that there is a clear delineation here between what Ole Miss offense is going to try to do and what Texas A&M defense would prefer they do. Ole Miss definitely, I think, um, going to be able to have some success rushing the football, um, whether that's with Matt Corral or with, with the running backs. Um, I do think that Texas A&M is better against the pass. I think Ole Miss is better rushing, so I do think Ole Miss is going to be trying to move the ball on the ground. That's not to say they're, they're not going to have any success through the air. I just think they'll have more success on the ground. And then on the other side, it's a little bit a lower quality matchup. Um, but similar in relative strength, again, I've got Texas A&M offense hovering right around number 50, Ole Miss defense hovering right around number 60, 65, so very middle of the pack, very average. Um, again, I do think there is one um, one facet of this matchup that's going to be exploited, and I think it's going to be Texas A&M, again, rushing the football. They're top 35 in success rate rushing, Ole Miss defense number 124 in success rate against the rush. There's 130 FBS teams. So Ole Miss, while their defense is pretty average, um, against the rush they are not. So I do think Texas a and is going to be looking to move the ball on the ground. For the second game in a row, I've got the team that I think is better actually picked to not win the game. I've got Texas A&M as the number 10 team in the country, and they've got one of the best wins in college football. It's the second best win of anybody in college football against Alabama at home, only a 25% chance the average top 25 team beats the Crimson Tide at home. The Aggies did that. I think they deserve credit for that. The committee is clearly giving them credit for that. Number 10 team in the country, predictively speaking, Ole Miss, number 16, but it's at Ole Miss. So I'm going to go ahead and take the Rebels. Uh, I've got a 54% win probability, so give me Ole Miss for three confidence points. The Grove at night. Now that is about as pure of environment that gets in college football. You know, the tailgating scene down there in Oxford is already harped upon as being one of the best. That's going to be an incredible game. Game day, big time SEC West matchup. Uh, this is a game I'm really looking forward to. And before I kind of dive into this, you know, I want to Give a quick shout out to our friend Josh at CFB Nerds. After him breaking down Ole Miss Auburn last week and really diving into some of those, you know, statistics and the matchups, it really intrigued me. And I learned a lot. You know, I was actually doing a little bit of research. I mean, a credit to him because he scoped that game out perfectly last week. Uh, so he deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, called that one straight from the start. And so I was, uh, I was you know, diving into that a little bit further this week. And so last week I wasn't overly sold on AM 
being able to run the ball against that Auburn defense, which I thought was pretty good. Um, but, you know, they quietly put up a couple, almost 200 yards on the ground versus Auburn, who was sixth in the SEC in rush defense. Now, you look at Ole Miss this week, they're 13th in the SEC in rush defense. And, you know, the only team that was below them currently is Missouri, and who AM played earlier this year, and they ran for almost 300 yards on them. So if that offensive line, which has been a little bit inconsistent this year, if they play to their potential, I really like AM to have a lot of success running the ball. I mean, they, you know, to kind of dive into what Josh said earlier, Ole Miss plays primarily a five-man front, and they rely really heavily on those linebackers and safeties to help get in that run game. And so a few weeks ago, Ole Miss was very much exploited in that, and I anticipate uh, A&M to try and do the same. And, I mean, if you look at Calzada last week, he was just 15 of 29. So, again, outside of the exception of that Alabama game, he's really been very much not impressive as the quarterback for A&M. So I think, obviously, you want to keep the ball out of his hands as much as possible. And I really see some success being A&M being able to control that line of scrimmage, uh, specifically uh, versus that Ole Miss defense. If you look on the other side, again, I want to give a ton of credit to Lane Kiffin and Matt Corral and what that offense has done. You know, the fact that they've had the success that they are. We talked about the three-headed rushing trio previously. Um, you know, when, when their wide receivers were healthy, they had really good threats in the passing game. But since Ole Miss played Tennessee, they've struggled on the ground. And I think part of that is not, I would not say necessarily on the ground, but the production just hasn't been there. And I think Matt Corral being injured on those two ankles is, is important. But since he got hurt, Ole Miss has collectively gone 265 rush yards, 157 rush yards, and 142 rush yards last week. So there's a trend there that they aren't having the success on the ground uh, that they are, were having early in the season. you got a very good AM defense that's been allowing just under 15 points per game in their last six. Uh, I think they're going to struggle. To, to move the ball against AM. I mean, I think they're going to, there's going to be some points scored, but I don't think that they're going to have the success that they've had. And if you look at a Liberty team last week who they, you know, they won comfortably, but it wasn't an over, overly impressive offensive performance. So I like this to be a real challenge for them. So I think the key in this game is AM on the road in this environment. It's tough for me to do it, but I just don't think that Ole Miss is going to have the success in offense that they've had. So I'm actually going to take AM with three. Um, and the big bet that I'm going to talk about, this over-under is 55.5. I really like the under in this game, actually, this week. That's a big, uh, you know, I know when we had Kyle, yeah, uh, earlier this, when we had Kyle on earlier this season, uh, you know, he talked about the total over-unders. And this is a game I really like the under. And, you know, I'm actually maybe going to reach out and see what his thoughts are on that just to kind of get his opinion. But that's one that really stands out to me. So I'm taking A&M with three. Awesome. And since you mentioned a couple of our previous guests, and we don't have a guest on this week, let's just take a second to thank them all again. Going back to Parker Fleming at Stats of War, Kyle Hunter at Kyle Hunter Picks, and then uh, Josh from at CFB Nerds. Uh, you mentioned it. Josh beat us in the Pick'em last week. He had the A or the uh, yeah the A and M Auburn game nailed. He had all the games nailed, honestly, except for the game we all missed, which was Baylor um, two weeks ago. Kyle beat us in the Pick'em. So King, I guess the silver lining here of not having a guest this week. The guests can't we, be Yeah, us. we won't we lose the guests this week. Yeah, so, yeah so that's a good point, Kelly. At least one of us is going to win the pick em, but um, that's beside the point. Thank you again to our previous guests. Again, we'll make sure we get uh, at SureBets to be joining us in 2022, uh, and we'll have some great guests lined up the rest of the way uh, this year as well. But to recap, this game, very interesting. King on Texas A&M for three. I'm on Ole Miss for three. So neither one of us super confident in the outcome in this game, but we're actually going different ways. So through six games, that's the second one. We both we picked. Disagreed. We I picked an upset in Nevada, and we're going by Vegas lines. You picked an upset uh, with Ole Miss going by Vegas lines. 
Oh, I didn't even realize yeah. Ole Miss so, was the underdog. Yeah, A&M's two and a half point favorite on the road. So uh, that pretty much, that pretty much, I'm sure accumulates very close to. I mean, your home field advantage there. But uh, so if we're just going straight off the Vegas lines, we both picked an upset so far. So we'll see what happens. That is, yes, yes, very interesting. Um, okay, well, good deal. Uh, let's go to what is one of the bigger games of the week. Not that any of these other games aren't big, but in the Big Twelve. Uh, probably the big, well, definitely the biggest game of the weekend in the Big 12. We've got Oklahoma at Baylor. Uh, this is, by my numbers, the second best game of the week with a game score of 89. Um, the committee not showing any love for Oklahoma in the, in the rankings this week. They've still got them hanging at number eight. I talked about it on the live show, King. We both talked about it on the live show, the disrespect that we think the committee is, is showing to the Big 12, not just in Oklahoma, but in Oklahoma State as well. I'd have the Sooners number three. Uh, Baylor, the committee has number 13. I'd actually have number 16, so maybe the committee's giving them a little extra love there than I would expect. But for me, King, this game is all about the offenses. Um, I've got Oklahoma State as the number three offense in the entire country. Baylor offense number 22. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of points here. I'm very curious to see if Baylor can do enough on defense because I do think the Baylor defense is better than the Oklahoma State defense. So I'm very curious to see if the Baylor defense can do enough to slow down the Oklahoma offense um, to allow the Bears offense the opportunity to go out and score points and just outscore them in what I expect to be a, um, a high scoring game. I think Oklahoma is going to have success both rushing and passing. They're, they're pretty balanced in terms of success rate. I do think they're going to be leaning on Caleb Williams to throw the ball a little bit because I do think the Baylor defense is uh, much better against the rush than the pass. So while I think Oklahoma can do both, I think they're going to have more success in the passing game. Flip that over to the other side. And again, I think the Baylor offense is going to have their way um, with Oklahoma's defense, both rushing and passing. And while I think that the Baylor offense... In terms of success rate and explosiveness, probably a little bit better rushing. I think the relative difference on the Oklahoma side is going to lead the Bears to want to pass the ball. I've got this Oklahoma defense as number 95 in the country in success rate. They're sub 100 in defense uh, against the pass and explosiveness. So not only are they giving up plays in the passing game to allow the offense to remain on schedule, they're giving up big explosive plays too, which is not a recipe for success. So I think Baylor is going to be trying to pass the ball. I think Oklahoma is going to be trying to pass the ball, which leads me back to I think there's going to be points to be had in this game. I've got Baylor as the, or excuse me, I've got Oklahoma as the better team, number five in the country, Baylor number 20 in the predictive numbers. It's at Waco, it's in Waco, so I do think it's going to be, um, I don't know what the line is, but I think that home field advantage, I expect Waco uh, to be rocking there for the Bears. Um, I'm going to take Oklahoma, I've got them with a 60% win probability, so this week that shakes out to five confidence points on the Sooners. So this was a game I was personally really looking forward to, right? This was supposed to be a big blockbuster matchup, then Baylor goes out and lays an egg last week versus TCU. So I think the biggest issue that is really hindered Baylor here and, and something that is a trend very much trending downwards is Jerry Bohannon has really struggled these last couple of weeks. He threw three interceptions. He's got five in his last week versus TCU. He's got five in his last three games. He has not been that efficient quarterback that we saw earlier this season when at one point he had 12 touchdowns and one interception. Now, as we know, Baylor's offense, it really does rely on that run game. And Abram Smith is a back that's been very explosive this year. We talked about it last week. He had four runs of 30 yards or more heading into last week's game, which is the most in the country. 
I actually think that's going to be a problem this week because OU's defense, they're a top 20 unit in the country in yards per game allowed. They're third in the Big 12, only allowing 111 yards per game. The biggest thing is, is their front seven, led by Nick Benito, who heading into this year was one of the best players in the country. They have at least five defensive players with three and a half tackles for losses. So they have some dudes up front that love to get after the ball. They swarm and they're very good or, or, or pretty good by standards in regards to stopping the run. So when you've got a trending quarterback that has been not having the success these last couple weeks, I don't think that's the matchup you're looking for because I really think, you know, obviously Baylor's going to want to try and establish that run game as much as possible. Um, you know, you got Caleb Williams on the other side. And, and again, you talked about Baylor or Oklahoma probably having a little bit more success throwing the ball this week. Caleb Williams has got three or more total touchdowns in four straight games. Last time he was out was Texas Tech two weeks ago. Oklahoma was on the bye. He had 403 yards and six touchdowns. They've got a great weapon on the outside, some great weapons around him. Kennedy Brooks, Marvin Mims on the outside. This is an Oklahoma team that I think is really starting to find its stride, or it looks like it's starting to find their stride, at least relatively on the offensive side of the ball. You know, I talked about it. I think the only way Baylor is really in this game is they can get Abram Smith going on the ground. I don't think you want the game on Jerry Bohannon's shoulders. So, you know, Waco environment, I like it. You know, I think I, I wish Baylor was going to get up for it, but I'm actually very high on OU this week. I'm going to take them minus five and a half, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. And I'm actually going to take them with nine confidence points. Okay, so King, much more confident in this game than I am. To recap, Kinger is on Oklahoma for nine. I am on the Sooners for five. So we both expect you always Oklahoma. feel a little. You always feel a little shaky with taking a road team that high, but I had to this week. They're a very impressive team, predictably speaking. So, yes, I agree with you. I think the Sooners are going to get it done. All right, moving into our final conference that we're going to look at here. Uh, first, it's it's in the Big Ten. First, we have Michigan going on the road to Penn State. King, what do you think of this? This is a game. I mean, both teams, Penn State snapped a three-game losing skid last week, had a big, big game on the road, beat Maryland. Uh, Jahan Dotson, the guy we've talked about on this podcast a few times, one of the best wide receivers in the country, actually just coming off a record-breaking week. He had a Penn State record 242 yards last week on 11 catches and three touchdowns. So, uh, you know, you had a Sean Clifford and that offense starting to find a little bit of rhythm here these last couple weeks versus Ohio State and then now versus Maryland, although they did lose the Ohio State game. I mean, Michigan bounced back last week. They trounced Indiana. Indiana, we don't even need to go on them, but it's it's always fun to see uh, them lose a game. But Michigan, uh, they've got a little bit uh, a, a question going into this game um, in regards to Blake Corum and their wide receiver, Andrell Anthony. Both these guys are questionable to play next weekend. We all know how important Michigan's the run game is for Michigan. They're currently averaging 234 yards per game on the ground. Leads the Big Ten, seventh in the country. Versus Penn State team, defensively, he was 10th in yards allowed on the ground in the Big Ten. And we talked about um, a couple weeks ago the inefficiencies in Penn State's defense with Kyle and their uh, rushing success rate on that side of the ball. So I think, you know, if Corum plays, although they do have that two-headed tandem, uh, that's going to be important for them. And if you just look on the other side of the ball, you know, Jim Harbaugh is on the other side of the ball. I expect... Clifford in that offense to have some success even versus a good Michigan defense but the thing that just is killing me and I I don't feel com- comfortable picking this one now Michigan is one in five and they're against the spread in their last November games Harbaugh has a streak here where he has struggled late in the season in November games um, but I just don't I think Michigan is the better team here so I'm going to take Michigan on the road I, again this is not one I feel overly confident with but I've got them in the sixth slot, so we'll see what happens there. At a pick them, I feel like you got to take them, but because uh, that's what the line is currently. But uh, you know, we'll wait and see what happens. 
I saw the line as a pick 'em. I'll get to that here in a second. Um, I've got this as the best game of the slate this week. It's a game score of 91. Two teams that I have in the top 15 of my predictive numbers. So really, really high quality teams here. Um, I know Penn State has had some losses here. They've lost three of their last four. You, you mentioned it. They snapped that three-game losing streak. I still think they're a really good team, predictively speaking. Michigan, a team we talked about on the live reaction show with the CFP rankings, uh, don't fully understand how they're ahead of Michigan State. If the committee's applying their head-to-head logic, but go check out that recap of the live show for more on that. Committee's got a number six. I'd have them number nine. Michigan has the seventh best win in the country on the road at Wisconsin. Only a 46% chance the average top 25 team would win that game. Uh, Penn State, by the same standards, also has a win at Wisconsin. I've got that as the eighth best win simply because, so one slot worse than the Michigan win, simply because Michigan beat them by more than Penn State did. So that's how you get the differentiator there. But both those teams going on the road and winning at Wisconsin, very impressive. For me, the high-quality matchup here is the Penn State defense versus the Michigan offense. I've got Penn State's defense number seven in the country, Michigan offense number 12. Um, I think Penn State does a really good job stopping the pass, uh, and they do a really good job stopping explosive running plays. But in terms of success rate on defense stopping the rush, not quite so good. So I do think Penn State, or excuse me, I do think Michigan is going to try to run the ball. I think they're going to be able to have some success with that. Um, again, I like Penn State's defense slightly more than I like Michigan's offense, but I do think Michigan's going to be able to do just enough damage um, on the ground to to score some points. And then on the other side where I think the difference in this game is made is that Michigan defense. I've got them as a number 11 defense in the country, Penn State's offense hovering around number 50. Uh, Penn State really struggling this year to move the ball on the ground. Success rate sub 100, explosiveness sub 100. Um, So they're probably gonna be trying to pass the ball with Sean Clifford. Uh, If he's healthy, Penn State obviously uh, plays a lot better. I think he is at least reportedly healthy for this game. Um, So expect them to be trying to pass the ball. But I do think Michigan's defense in terms of success rate, I mean, they're top 15 in the country against the pass. They're top 30 in terms of explosiveness. So I really don't think Penn State's going to be able to move the ball a whole lot. You mentioned this game's a pick I've got Michigan uh, minus two and a half. And the game is in Happy Valley. So on a neutral site, I'd actually like Michigan by about five because two and a half is also my um, home field advantage number that I'm using this year. So I think on a neutral site, I'd, I'd take Michigan by even more. But even in Happy Valley, give me the Wolverines. It's a 57% win probability. And that is good for four confidence points. So to recap, King on the Wolverines for six. I'm on Michigan for four. And that is the first of three Big Ten games that we're going to be looking at here. That was in the East. Let's go to the West, King. Um, I'll take this one first. We've got four teams tied at the top of the Big Ten West. Um, Two of those are Minnesota and Iowa. And they're playing this week. And they're playing um, at Iowa. I've got this as the worst Iowa team since the Hawkeyes finished number 29 back in 2016. And again, this is not to say that's a bad Iowa team. I've got them number 24 in the predictive numbers this week, but it's just that Kirk Ferenc has had Iowa um, in terms of predictiveness um, and predictively speaking, this has been a really good Iowa program the last couple of years. So this is the worst version of Iowa that we've seen in a while. Um, The committee's got them number 20. 
I'd actually have them number 14. I think Iowa has the third best win in the country this year going on the road back in week two at Iowa State. They won that game by 10. I've got that as the third best win of the entire season. Only a 42% chance the average top 25 team wins in Ames, and Iowa did that. Um, so I'm very impressed with what Iowa's accomplished. They've been trending the wrong way in the predictive numbers as the season has gone on. They did snap a uh, two-game losing streak here recently with their win at Northwestern, albeit a very close win, not super impressive. Um, but a win nonetheless. I like both defenses in this game. Um, I'll start with the unit that has just been outstanding all year, and that's Iowa, number three defense in the entire country. I mean, rushing, passing, I expect them to be slowing down that Minnesota offense. I really don't know how many points Minnesota is going to score. I don't know what the over-under is on this game. Um, I don't even know what the line is on this game. But I don't know how many points Minnesota is going to be able to score against this Iowa defense, a very stout Iowa defense. And I expect them to play that way at home with everything on the line in the Big Ten West. Um, so I, I like that Iowa defense. And then on the other side, I like Minnesota's defense too. It's no secret that Iowa's offense has really struggled um, this season. I've got them sub-100 in success rate, both rushing and and passing. Um, so I don't think they're going to be able to move the ball a whole lot against that Minnesota defense either. At the end of the day, I do think Iowa is a more talented team overall. They are playing at home. So I'm going to take the Hawkeyes. I've got them actually with a 71% win probability. It scares me a little bit because when neither offense can score, I feel like there's a lot of variability in the outcome of this game. But I do have it as a 71% win probability by my numbers. So I'm going to take the Hawkeyes and I'm going to take them for eight confidence points. Okay, so I'm going to need a little feedback on this here, Kelly, because I right now have Minnesota sitting in my two slot, and I, that could change come Friday. So we might, I might have to make a Twitter announcement. And the reason why behind— Wait, hold on. Hold on. You might be making a change to your official picks. So you got to—can you just—let me explain why. Spencer right. Petrus has a shoulder injury, and he left the game last week— so it is now Alex Padilla's show in Iowa, right? And so they're working with the backup quarterback. And so we're not sure if Petrus is going to play. And I want to say that I don't think Petrus has been anything spectacular this year, but versus a good Minnesota defense, a step-up Minnesota defense, versus which he's going to see than what he saw last weekend versus Northwestern. I mean, he was relatively successful. I don't know that I'm going to trust him even at home to win this football game. And if you look at the other side of the ball, you already talked. Tanner Morgan has been his is pretty much stunk this year. He has. He's only got six touchdowns, seven interceptions. He's got a great weapon on the outside in Chris Ottman Bell. He's been very solid for them. He's been far and away their best weapon. Uh, you know, versus a very good Iowa pass defense. But they've struggled a little bit more so than they did earlier in the season these last couple weeks. So I'm looking at it and I'm saying I don't think that Minnesota, or I'm sorry, that Iowa's gonna have a ton of success here, but I also, if you flip it around, I also don't see Iowa having really much to do on that side of the ball as well. So, you know, going into Hawkeye Stadium, it's one of these things where I don't feel comfortable with it right now, but I'm taking Minnesota versus a backup quarterback. I am. If they announce on Friday this week he's going to play, I might change it. So that's where I'm looking for your feedback. If you want me to stick with it, then I'm just going to go with my gut and I'll keep Minnesota right now. But I want to know if we're playing a backup quarterback or not. That's that's just the way I'm looking at it, right? I want to know if I was going to have Petrus in there, if they're going to have Padilla in there, Padilla in there. 
Oh, man. I don't know, King. I'm going to have to think about this one. If we can change a pick that we make officially on the podcast later, I don't. that doesn't sit right with me. We'll, we'll talk about it um, after the show here. We'll see what we need to do. I'll actually say, though, I think there is evidence out there um, for when a backup quarterback goes into a game, especially in a game where you're you're probably already I don't know what the line is um, if Petrus is playing I don't know what the line is the li- line right now so it was I, on my site on my gambling site it was offline today because of that because reason because of alone. this and so what was it before it five and offline? a half Iowa Iowa okay so I still think though knowing what we know about Petrus and the level of play he's had even if Petrus isn't playing two I expect points, three Vegas points. Would, I expect when Vegas comes back Iowa's still the favorite here I agree so I, I I'm not. I'm not overly convinced that, and again, by two or three points, I, I know that's a big deal um, for one player, and it's a quarterback position, and I, and I yeah. get that. I think there's there have been times um, in recent memory where teams have rallied around a backup quarterback, especially when you're playing at home Agreed. against an opponent against an opponent that really doesn't present that big of a threat. I mean, you're still a favorite, right? So um, I hear what you're saying. It makes sense. I'm regardless of who the quarterback is. I'm not backing off Iowa. I'm not backing off eight because, for better or worse, my numbers don't explicitly see injuries. That is um, a blind spot of any predictive model. That's that's not of any of many predictive models that are out there. Maybe one day I'll be able to uh, spend the time that I need to go in and uh, and make manual adjustments, especially for quarterback injuries. That's the biggest, right? So um, as it stands, I'm sticking on Iowa. All right. So my brain, screw it. We're going. Iowa for two. That's my final pick. We won't. We won't change it. You just sold me, Kelly. I wasn't gonna change. I wasn't gonna change the number. I wasn't gonna change the number. But you just sold me. So give me Iowa for two. I'm keeping Iowa. That's All it. All right. We're I'm, officially I'm updating the graphic as yeah. we speak. All right. To recap, K. Ford on Iowa for eight. Kinger on Iowa for two. Um, That's the first scenario worse, we had with this. So for that, better or worse, I've just changed King's mind. So. Uh, I'll be upset if Iowa actually wins now. I won't because I'll get eight points, but uh, King will have ended up getting two when he would not have gotten any had Minnesota won. I just but, I, uh, I thought a lot about what you were You know, I agree with what you're saying out there. It, at the end of the day, I, I don't want to change the picks last minute, right? You spend the time working on the graphics, and we go through this. We do our prep work. So let's just ride with it. You know, I'm, I'm my, this is how it gets. You think one thing sometimes, and sometimes you just have to go with the other, and that's exactly I, what I got to do here. I love it, and I think that's right. We're on the podcast. We're making the picks right now. You've just submitted yours. You changed it based on new information. I think that's fine. This is final. That's what we'll roll with. So K Ford, Iowa for eight. Kinger, Iowa for two. Looking forward to what should be a um, – I'm not going to call it a great game. No. The over-under on that is 37 points, by the way, again, too, is what I saw. The over-under is 37? 37. Yeah, so, so, yeah. So there you go. I knew it couldn't be that high, right? And, and when we had Kyle on a couple weeks ago as our resident expert in over-unders, uh, he said he doesn't like to touch things that are below like 40 or whatever it was in college football just because you get a defensive score, which Iowa's been prone to do. You get a special team score, which, again, Iowa's been prone to do, and you can lose that right there. So, um it doesn't surprise me the over-under is that low. These offenses are not good. Um, so, yeah. Okay, we're both on Iowa for varying degrees. King, it's our final game of the week. I know it's the game you've been dying to talk about this whole time. It's the game, honestly, I'm kind of dreading talking about because if it goes one way, it's like, oh, you are expected. If it goes the other way, I'll never hear the end of it. Let's get into it. I'm going to let you talk about it first. Our, as you like to say, Purdue Boilermakers going on the road into the horseshoe to take on the Ohio State Buckeyes. I'm going to catch some heat from Purdue fans with this. I know I am. And I hate, I hate that I have to do this. But there's only one slot left. 
and we'll just get it out there right now. I have Ohio State in my 10 spot this week. I do. And it kills me to say this. And so at the end of the day, I want to beat you. We're both competitors. But if Purdue somehow comes out and upsets Ohio State, this can all just get tossed aside because I don't care. Boilers will do something that has never been done. No unranked team has ever beat three top 10 opponents in a season. It would be incredible. And, you know, it would suck to lose this, you know, the 10 points there. But, um, you know, this is just, I think, too much of a tall task. I mean, you look back, no Big Ten team has beat Ohio State since 2018 when Purdue did it on the road in West Lafayette. We're the last team to, Big Ten team to, defeat Ohio State. And I think we have a tall task this week going into the shoe, like you said. I mean, last week, the really thing that Purdue was able to exploit, as we saw, is, is Purdue was able to tear apart that Michigan State passing defense, right? Ohio, and O'Connell was the highest rated Quarterback in the FBS last week, 40 for 54, 536 yards and three touchdowns. We talked about it. Michigan State was dead last in the Big Ten in passing yards. They were allowing over 326 yards in the air. It's a little bit different story with Ohio State. Ohio State has been susceptible in the past game, but they're middle of the pack. They're only allowing 247 yards per game. That's a significant 80-yard difference in the skill players in the Ohio State secondary. They have a couple four- and five-star guys back there. We're dealing with it's it's a lot different than the Michigan State secondary. So that's an area where I still think Purdue is going to score some points. I do. Um, but it's gonna be much more difficult. And you got you look last week, Purdue rushed the ball 31 times, which I gave him a lot of credit for, trying to keep that game consistently on the ground. They only rushed for 58 yards. So again, you're going against a Ohio State defense that is pretty strong against the one run. There's gonna need to be improvement for that because I don't think the skill players on the outside, David Bell, we'll just say him and Olave are the best two wide receivers. We'll give we'll give Olave the credit. They're the two best wide receivers in the Big Ten. I don't think it's really much argument around that. I mean, Dotson maybe at this point, but if you're going to ask me in regards to next level talent, I'm putting those guys down. So Purdue, I think, is going to have some success. They're, they're going to be able to score some points throwing the ball. But again, the run game, when you're so one-dimensional against Ohio State versus a team as good and complete as they are, it brings a challenge. On the other side, Purdue's passing defense, we've talked about, has been fantastic this year. Um, you know, they've top 10, top 12 in the country. I don't have the numbers right off the top of my head in regards to passing yards per game allowed, but they also haven't played skill players like uh, Ohio State. And uh, when you've been susceptible against the run, you got a guy in Travion Henderson averaging over seven yards per carry. I think he's going to have some success. Again, I wanted to keep Kenneth Walker around 130 last week. We did that. I think he had 146. We got to do that again with Henderson this week. And the thing for me is if Stroud plays good football like he's shown this year, it's it's Ohio State easy. If Stroud shakes and has a couple turnovers, then I like Purdue to keep this close. You give me 20 points with the Boilers, though, and I'm going to take that all day long. I'm taking Ohio State with 10, but give me Purdue to cover the 20. Gotcha. Okay. As I said, I'm, I'm kind of dreading this game. I'm excited about it, but I'm kind of dreading it, right? I get... On Twitter, I've been taking some heat from our friends, so it's not real heat, but getting called a Purdue hater, and oh, you're probably mad, Purdue's number 19. So for those that don't know, I did go to Purdue, but I am an admitted Ohio State fan. So for me, anytime these two teams play, it's, well, Ohio State, of course, they're expected to win. So if Ohio State wins, it's like, well, congrats, you were supposed to. If Purdue wins, all of my friends from Purdue just never let me hear the end of it. And I get that. I hear that. I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm not looking for anyone to feel bad for, oh, poor Ohio State fan. I mean, my goodness, in my lifetime, Ohio State's won two national championships. 
95% of the of college football fans out there who support programs haven't won one in their lifetime, and many of those fans have been alive much longer than I have. So do not feel sorry for me as an Ohio State fan. I'm not looking for that at all. But my goodness, when these two teams play, there's a little something extra on the line. So that's why I'm nervous for it. I'm excited for it. I mean, King, my mother-in-law on Tuesday night, I saw her. She looked at me and said, what do you think about the game on Saturday? I mean, I got my mother-in-law asking me about this game because she knows what's at stake for me just in Definitely. terms of being able to take heat from people. So I've got this as the fifth best game in terms of average K-Ford rating, a game score of 86. I've got this as the best Purdue team since the Boilermakers finished number 18 back in 2004. Um, so this is a really good Purdue team. I have them as having two of the best 25 wins in the country this year at Iowa and at Nebraska. Ohio State also has that win at Nebraska, so they have one um, of the best 25 wins in the country. But a Purdue team that, as you mentioned, King, some really good wins. Uh, you, you did say a stat no team has ever beaten three top five or top ten teams as an unranked team. I'm not sure Purdue would qualify for that anymore since they are currently ranked this week, but I, I hear your Wait, point about— uh, Are they AP ranked? Oh no, oh no, they're not. So yeah, you're talking yeah, AP yeah, ranked. Yeah, yeah. So no, they are. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. right. Yep, they are not AP ranked. I think they're sitting in the 26th spot there. Um, the CFP has them number 19. Um, I've got Purdue. I would have Purdue number 24. So I do think they're slightly overranked. But before you call me a Purdue hater, I have Ohio State number seven. The committee has them number four. So I think Ohio State is also overranked, albeit slightly less so. Um, so the the committee showing the Big Ten some love there. Um, I, I think this is Ohio State's game. To, to be had. It's in Columbus, which I think makes a big deal or makes a difference that you mentioned that 2018 game that was on the road um, in West Lafayette at night. Um, again, the last time Ohio State lost a Big Ten game was that game. Um, I remember it like it was yesterday because of all the feedback I got afterwards. Um, and again, that's what happens when you support a team in the conference of the school you went to. So I get that. Um, but I think this is Ohio State's game. I've got Ohio State as the number one offense in the country. I've got them as the number 16 defense. So while they did struggle early, they're making strides. They're getting better. They're continuing to improve. That is not to say that I expect Ohio State to dominate in all facets of this game. You mentioned it. The Purdue defense, really good. I've got them number 21 in the country on the defensive side of the ball. They're top 20 in success rate in both passing and rushing. Uh, Ohio State, while Travion Henderson has been fantastic, you mentioned it. I mean, he's the best freshman running back. At he reminds me of Maurice Claret, to be honest, King. And, and Maurice Claret was their running back at Ohio State back in 2002. It's a good name to compare him to for Ohio State fans. That, that, yeah, it's, that's, it's, who, that's who he reminds me of in terms of his impact on the game. And I have a soft spot in my heart for that 2002 team. I was at a, I was 10 years old when that team won a national championship, so very impressionable. My favorite college football players of all time are on that team. Shout out to Chris Gamble, my absolute favorite player ever. Um, that team has a special place in my heart, but that's who Travion Henderson reminds me of to have the impact that he has as a freshman. Um, just really impressive. But that said, I actually have uh, Purdue's defense success rate against the rush as better than Ohio State's success rate rushing the ball. So you mentioned some of the skilled players that Ohio State has, especially at, in the receiving core. In my opinion, it's the best receiving core in the country. I think other opposing coaches have said it's the best receiving core they've ever seen in college. I mean, the talent is outstanding in that room. If C.J. Stroud has the time to get them the ball, it's lights out, like you said. Um, so I do think they're going to be able to pass the ball. They're going to try to rush it, but I think Ohio I think Purdue has a good chance to slow them down in that. And then on the other side, while I do like Purdue's defense, um, I think Purdue, or excuse me, while I do like Ohio State's defense, I do think Purdue 
can have success passing the ball. Uh, Ohio State's pass defense in terms of success rate, very average nationally. They're ranked 60th, uh, 68th in explosive plays given up in the air. So um, while Purdue is not the most explosive team on offense, uh, passing or rushing, I've actually got them dead last in explosiveness rushing the football. So um, and in terms of success rate, they're sub 100 as well. So I think it's no secret Purdue's going to try to pass the ball. And that works out well because Ohio State's weakness on defense is against the pass. So I like Ohio State. I think Ohio State's the better team in this game. I've got them number three in my predicted numbers. Purdue is up to number 38, which again, that's the best Purdue team, predictively speaking, since 2004. A lot of respect for what Purdue has done, what they've accomplished, um, and I think it's a really good team. I think they're just going up against a better team, and it's on the road. So I've got Ohio State, 92% win probability. I've got the projected spread. We talked about it earlier. The spread is 20. I've got Ohio State minus 20. My numbers line up exactly with Vegas on this one. Uh, Give me the Buckeyes. Give me 10 confidence points. So to recap, it's pretty simple. Uh, K. Ford, Kinger, both on the Buckeyes for 10. Kinger hoping for the upset. Um, I selfishly... (laughs) And not if Purdue knocks Ohio State out of the national title picture. It will be a sad day for me, and I won't hear the end of it. I might just have to turn my phone off. But that's been the picks this week, King. Very exciting. Going back, it looks like we disagree on two games. So just to recap, I'm on San Diego State. Kinger's on Nevada. I'm on Ole Miss. Kinger's on Texas A&M. We agree to varying levels of confidence on all of the other games. So, Kinger, before we get out of here, you want to give us some best bets for the week? Yeah, let's do it. Like I said, this week was tough for me, but I'm actually uh, – we'll probably get smoked now just because this is what it is, like it always happens. But I'm feeling good about my bets this week. I think we're sitting at 10-11 and 11 on the season, so just under 500. I've got six plays locked already right now, and I'm going to take that under in the uh, – what game did we talk about earlier that I said I love the under on? It was under 55 and a half. It was Ole Miss A&M. So I'm going to take that under. So we're going to make that seven plays. My lock of the week is Washington State. I'm on Nevada plus two and a half. I got Notre Dame at five. I think I saw earlier the line was at five and a half, potentially six at some sites right now. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I do like Notre Dame in that five without the hook. I'm on Oklahoma minus five and a half at Baylor. I really like them this week. Purdue to cover the 20 versus Ohio State. And then Michigan and the Pick'em, which again, Jim Harbaugh in November, a little scary, but I want to believe this Michigan team's a little bit different. And I do think they have an edge in numerous areas versus Penn State. So those are my seven plays this week. I'm hoping for five and two. No, I'm, I'm hoping for seven and oh, but if we get go ahead and go out and get five and two this week, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be very happy. And I like this week. I like to get back on track. So that's where we stand. Let's hopefully let's go make some money this week. I love it, King. Heed that advice. He's due for a good week. We're getting back over 500. I can feel it. So make sure you're following us on Twitter at WeHateYourTeam underscore. Join our free Pick'em group on the ESPN app. It's called We Hate Your Team Podcast for your chance to get a shout out and potentially appear as a guest on the show. Kinger, thank you so much. This has been awesome to do it. Just you and I again. Back to like the first episode. A lot of fun. Very much looking forward to the entire slate. Good luck to your best bets and all eyes on Columbus, 3.30 on Saturday. The Purdue Boilermakers, the ranked Purdue Boilermakers, rolling into Columbus to take on Ohio State. The train is coming, Kelly. The train is coming. Go Boilers. The Spoilermakers, as they're called. We'll see how it goes. This has been the We Hate Your Team podcast. Enjoy week 11 of the 2021 college football season.